You're listening to This Week in Fantasy Baseball. Hello, everyone, and welcome to This Week in Fantasy Baseball. I'm Lee Keller, joined by John Ka. On this off-season episode of This Week in Fantasy Baseball, we'll be going over fantasy baseball resolutions, things that we maybe did poorly last season that we could share with all of you, reflect on, and fix for the 2024 season. That way, if all of you struggled with similar things, we can help you break through on that, or if none of these are really helpful to you, at least you can hear about our struggles and what we're going to change, and you can think about what you did poorly last season and how you can improve for the next season. It's something that I always try to do after every single season. If I won or if I came in last, it doesn't matter. I always try to reflect on what I did well and what I did poorly because you can always improve in everything in life nonetheless. But specifically as a fantasy player, you can always do something better. And then also at the end of this podcast, we will go over all of the trades and signings that took place since our last episode. And there's a lot. I mean, we haven't even talked about Otani yet. So a lot to talk about there. But before we do that, John, how's everything been with you? It's been quite a while since we talked. How's everything going? Yeah, it's pretty much been an entire month, and uh, the Twins have done absolutely nothing in the <laughs> offseason. So, you know, I've I've basically had nothing to do in regards to baseball. So, uh, yeah, it's been a pretty pretty quiet month, but, you know, glad to, glad to uh, go through the holidays, get through all that madness a little bit. And now we're in a, a new year, new season of fantasy baseball. Yeah, it's a brand new year. So for all of the listeners out there, happy new year. I hope your holiday went well. I hope everything went great. You were able to spend it with family or friends, whoever it may be. Hopefully you had a great holiday season. It is a new year and it's time for more episodes of this week in fantasy baseball. So remember, follow our podcast on Twitter or X at this week PL and you could send us your fantasy baseball questions. Please send us the questions. We want to hear from you to our email at thisweekplpod at gmail.com. And lastly, make sure that you subscribe to or follow the podcast on whatever streaming platform that you listen to your podcasts on. We're on all of them, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, Stitcher. And please, if you follow, leave a five-star review if you enjoy the show. It helps us out greatly. It allows us to push our podcast out to new audiences. So make sure you leave a five-star review if you can. Now, let's talk about the fantasy baseball resolutions we have. So John and I both wrote down five resolutions for next season. John, would you like to start us off with your first one? Yeah. So we've, you know, we talk about this all the time in terms of our home league. So my, my home league is a, uh, an auction league, right? And so I generally do the strategy of just picking up $1 pitchers and, basically focusing all my attention on bats. Okay. And then when it comes to redraft leagues, I tend to basically in the first 10 rounds, what I'll, what I'll probably end up doing is I, I draft four hitters in the first four rounds. Okay. Um, and starting in round five is when I start thinking about going on pitchers. And I usually, usually go on like a run of four straight pitchers. It, I don't know why I just really like doing some type of symmetry there. Um, and then, you know, fill out two more decent hitters in the ninth and 10th round. Um, but honestly, part of the whole $1 pitcher experience has kind of taught me that even in redraft leagues, like you don't really need to go that hard on pitchers. And, you know, we talked about this a couple episodes ago when we did our first round, uh, first round draft, right? First two, first two rounds of a draft. 
And neither of us really wanted to get kind of the high value pitchers, right? Garrett Cole, like Snell, Spencer Strider. We all kind of felt like, nah, you know, I, I, I'd be okay with getting him in the second round, but I don't really need him. And we don't really apply the same logic when it comes to like the sixth and seventh and eighth rounds because we feel like, oh, I really need to get a SP1 and SP2. And I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with with getting, you know, a couple good pitchers in the first 10 rounds. But I've really noticed it, a lot of times some of those guys, just injuries happen, things like that, and you end up having to go to the waiver wire anyway to pick guys up. And more often than not, like you find some really solid guys after round 10 um, that end up, you know, being really good mainstays for you. They might not be SP1s, they might not be SP2s, but if you get a pretty decent collection of SP4s, um in in that range i honestly am pretty happy with that knowing that my bats are wrecking because i have a lot of high-end um offense because that's what i drafted in like say the first six rounds yeah so that's a great strategy to go off of because i found myself this season specifically doing the same thing you said in my home league and in most of my leagues in general is that I didn't really go after a huge ace. Like the biggest ace that I paid for across all of my leagues, I think was Luis Castillo in one and maybe Max Fried in another. And they were going in what, the fourth, fifth round range, something like that. Mm-hmm. So I'm with you on that. I am not afraid to pass up on the quote unquote ace type pitchers. I think it's more of an opportunity cost, right? Like if I see Spencer Strider there with my wraparound pick from the second to the third, I might take him there if he falls to that spot. Like, I'm not opposed to it. Same with Garrett Cole, stuff like that. If it shows an opportunity that makes sense, I'll do it. But if I can, I would much rather do what you do and take hitters the first four or five rounds and then do that back-to-back-to-back thing. I mean, in my home league, just like you said, from rounds 8 to 12, I took pitchers. I took four pitchers in a row, just ripped it off. I think I took Giolito, Chris Sale. Remember, this is a keeper league, so things are a little bit off. But, like, Chris Sale... Chris Bassett, I think. It was just a bunch of mid-guys. Lance Lynn was one of them. So Lucas Giolito, Lance Lynn, Chris Bassett, and Chris Sale, I ripped in four rounds in a row. Mm -hmm. So stuff like that. And they ended up being great and serviceable and fine, and it didn't ruin my pitching staff. And also, just to go back on my home league as well, my pitching staff ended with Cole Reagans, undrafted. Then we have Mike Clevenger, undrafted. Seth Lugo, undrafted. Yusei Kikuchi, undrafted. Kenta Maeda, undrafted. So you can make a good pitching staff. And once again, that was a 10-team league, by the way. So some of those guys who you might have been like, oh, why weren't they drafted? It's because Mm -hmm. it's a smaller league. But in that case, you can make a great staff from pitchers from the wire. You can make a great staff in those late rounds. I think it is important to have one stable factor, like having a Luis Castillo to anchor your staff, or a Kevin Gosman, or a Spencer Strider. Like, if you want to pay up for one of those guys, that's fine. But mm-hmm. really wait on pitching, like you said. Don't be afraid to pass up on the guys in the beginning if you can trust yourself enough to draft the guys later on that you know might be good. So I like that resolution a lot. I think that's a very smart thing to do, especially in today's age where there isn't that just bona fide stud like Jacob deGrom was someone that I would, in his prime, draft in the first round no matter what. Like, give Mm -hmm. me him because you just know what you're going to get and it's the most elite production you can have. So I wouldn't mind doing that, but there's really no one like that now. Like, sure, Cole and Strider and maybe Yamamoto and whatnot, they're all close, but 
I just don't feel as good of passing up a top-tier elite bat for one of those guys as I once did. I'd much rather pick out of that medium range of pitcher. Yeah, and I mean, I was looking at my league where, again, I draft $1 pitchers, so we're really scraping the bottom of the barrel here. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. It's also a 10-team, so kind of similar to what you were talking about. There's some guys on this list that maybe they wouldn't be on the waiver wire um, to start with, but, you know, it's it's Kyle Bradish, it's Cole Reagan, yeah. it's Kenta Maeda, Grayson Rodriguez. Uh, I did draft Shohei Mautani in this, one, in this league, but, you know, it's it's ESPN, so I get him as both, so I, I let that pass. Yeah. Um, Jordan Montgomery, who I found on the wire, Tarek Skubal, Brian Bello, Be- yep. Bayo. Uh, the, the one guy, actually, I drafted for $2 last year, Nestor Cortez didn't do a single thing for me. Right. Um, and then Steven Matz was also on that on that list. And, you know, all those guys, like, if you're willing to kind of burn and churn through pitchers, which, you know, we talk about that a lot on this, on this, uh, the podcast, right? We have our streamer recommendations. We also say don't stream if you have to. Yep. But if that's going to be your strategy and you're really comfortable with getting guys, with getting hitters specifically, who you know can mash, who are kind of generally healthy you know beyond you know freak accidents that always happen um it it to me just seems like a really good strategy especially because a lot of these uh a lot of these categories because you have so many pitchers going one really bad era performance or one really bad whip performance from a streamer doesn't completely sink you um and it, it allows you in a way to kind of deal with these kind of more mediocre pitchers because they're performing in a way that's like not that that worse compared to a right. like really high-end pitcher now obviously over the course of the season it's definitely a lot different right uh you're not going to tell me that you know kenta maeda performed at the same level as garrett cole but for two months kenta maeda performed at the same level of garrett cole right and so being able to you know be aware of that and and, and you know apply you know apply your strengths that you and i both have kind of in picking up these streamer guys I think is something that I should lean on more with more of my drafts instead of just kind of limiting it to an auction draft style uh, strategy. Without a doubt. And remember also, this changes based on what type of league you're in. If you're in a head-to-head league, if you're in a roto league, points, there's a bunch of different formats. So obviously this is specific advice, I think mainly for head-to-head for us, because Mm -hmm. for me, my head-to-head strategy for pitching last season was I didn't want to pay for top-end pitching, and I just wanted volume. That's all I chased was volume. All the people I named in those middle rounds, Bassett, Giolito, Lance Lynn, all those guys are all volume. They will give me 170-plus innings of serviceable ERA, whip, strikeouts, quality starts. That's all I wanted. I just wanted to kill my opponents with volume. I didn't care about mm-hmm. how good they were or what it was. I just wanted as much volume as possible. Stream as much as possible. Take those guys who are going to give me 200 innings and let them go as much as possible. That's all I wanted to do, and it worked out for me. I might have a different strategy this season. I have to look and do more prep, but that was my strategy last season, and it worked out really well for me. So it obviously applies differently to different leagues. Roto leagues might be different. You might want nothing but really good floor pitchers or nothing but really high ceiling pitchers like who knows if you're in a big money league that's 15 teams plus deep maybe you go for the boomer bust or if you're in a smaller league then maybe you just go with the volume play so it really varies based on what league you're in what the settings are etc but I think in general it's a good thing to know that pitching is very deep there's not really humongous standouts on the early rounds that you need to take 
and just trust yourself on doing the prep and visiting pitcher lists and looking through the list and all of our articles because that'll help you with all this pitching knowledge. But just knowing those guys at the later end of the draft that you can grab and find the right guys on the wire to put together a serviceable staff. So I think that's a great resolution. And moving on to my resolution, I have this one called the correct amount of leagues resolution. Now, last season I joined, I believe it was six leagues and that's okay for me, but I joined two leagues knowing that I wasn't going to take them as seriously or care about them as much as I would the other four. And that's not good. You don't want to just join a league just because, I mean, if it's a free league with friends, sure, whatever, but for money leagues, you don't want to go in over your head on the amount of leagues you're joining. And especially if you know you're not going to treat them with the same love and care as the other ones that you're in and are already committed to. So don't half commit to a league or something that you know you'll care less about than another one. Because my main leagues I really care about are my home league, which is something I'll always care about. Probably more than everything, and I'll always put it a little bit more in the front part of my mind than the other ones, but the ones that I treat equally is TGFBI, a big money league in NFBC, and then another league I've been in for a while. So those four leagues I really take care of and try my heart out in, but then I joined a new dynasty league last season, and then I joined another league that someone invited me to, and I just didn't pay attention to them as much as I did the other four. So I really didn't like that because I looked back at the end of the dynasty team, and the dynasty league is incredible it's full of incredible minds all people from pitcher list and it's just a great group of people so I felt horrible that I really tried to win that season two in my draft I really didn't go for any of the top prospects I played for the season I drafted people like Jose Abreu and Chris Bassett and obviously Abreu failed and Bassett was great but I did stuff like that and it didn't work I came in third to last I think it's a 14 team dynasty league and I came in 11th or 12th so it wasn't great And I wasn't happy about that. So this season, I said, I'm going to try really, really hard. I'm going to give the same love that I do to all my other leagues, to this league. And I'm going to right the ship. I'm going to make a bunch of moves. I'm going to try. So I think in general for a resolution is just make sure that you join the correct amount of leagues that you're able to give attention to. If you have a busy life and you want to play fantasy, just join one league. Don't overdo it. But if you're someone like me who's a maniac and is someone that hosts a fantasy baseball podcast and talks about it, lives, eats, and breathes fantasy baseball, then join the right amount for you. Don't join 15 if you know you can't look and edit and alter 15 teams throughout the whole season. Just stick to what you can do. I think I'm going to stick to five or six, but give them all equal love and make sure I care about them. But that's my advice for everyone is just try to join the right amount of leagues. It's tough to figure that out, but over time, you'll be able to figure that out. Yeah, I know for me, there was definitely three leagues I was a part of last year where I kind of eventually kind of treated them like best ball leagues where I really wasn't making that many moves. I was setting my lineup most days, uh, many thanks to Yahoo Fantasy for doing their start active players yep. thing. I, it's not perfect. It doesn't work all the time, but right. you know it's good enough to make sure. Hey, I'm not like having Aaron Judge on my bench. You know, for, <laughs> yeah, for yeah, yeah. Days, right, like it, it's at least good enough to figure that out. Um, and you know, like for for both good and bad reasons, like I, I was kind of okay with treating them like best ball leagues, where I wasn't like trying to figure out who's on the waiver wire and you know who can I. Uh, you know pick up before everyone else and um but yeah there's three leagues that i you know kind of cared about you know my my home league for sure i cared about a lot tgfbi i 
the nice thing about TGFBI is you kind of only need to care two times a week. Yes, right. Uh, my Dynasty League is kind of similar in that we only set our lineups two times a week. Um, and because it's a Dynasty League, the waiver wire kind of sucks. Um, so <laughs> uh, it was more about, you know, how good are my players? And they just weren't that good this year. So it, it is what it is. Right. Um, and yeah, the, the three other leagues that I was in, like, I you know, I, I paid attention to how I was doing on a week by week basis, but I wasn't, you know, in in the trenches, so to speak, uh, and, and trying to figure out how to to do well in those leagues and you know for for better or worse i I didn't finish that great in all of them i think one of them i finished third in but the other two i finished like you know fifth and sixth but yeah there's definitely fatigue when it comes to fantasy baseball um and you know there's nothing wrong i think with joining a league and treating it like a best ball league um but yeah if you really do kind of care about you know having a good time with you know friends and and trying to you know commit to what's going on yeah, don't don't stretch yourself, I would say. And I think it definitely in kind of your vein, you know, talking about, you know, we're we're in a bunch of, you know, kind of big important leagues that we care about a lot. Definitely make sure you know how to divide your time well to to actually spend the amount of time that you want to spend on on all these important leagues. Yeah, and you put it perfectly by saying the term in the trenches for some of the leagues, like you weren't there. That's the same thing for me. Like, I always set my lineups. I'm not someone who just avoids a team, and I would never. I mean, if I joined a league and didn't even look at it, I would be very upset with myself. But I'm saying more so of, like, those two leagues that I didn't pay attention to, I wasn't in the trenches. I wasn't diving through the wire. I wasn't trying my hardest in those two leagues. And that's what you really need to do is make sure you're trying your hardest in the right amount of leagues because you don't want to treat it as just something you do or something you don't care about because that's not how you have fun with fantasy baseball it's just not fun to have a league that you don't look at and don't care about like if you want to do that join a best ball league do something like that where you just do a draft and hold league on nfbc where you draft an entire team and you just make sure you're playing active people and you don't have to make any pickups you don't do anything besides the draft you can do stuff like that so make sure you cater the leagues to where you are comfortable because that's something you don't want to do is overwhelm yourself and be overwhelmed with the amount of leagues you're in and not care or look at them. So make sure you divide that well. Yeah. uh, The other thing too, uh, utilize notifications or email because uh, on some of these, I know know some of these Yahoo leagues that I'm in, you know, there's like two day waivers. And so you, you try to pick up a guy and you just have no idea when you're actually going to get him Uh, and, and getting those notifications. Like, Hey, you actually got this dude. It's like, Oh, that's right. I should probably start him or something like that. Yeah, you know, yeah. It is. Uh, those are those are kind of helpful little things to you know make sure you're you're on uh, you're on the right path when it comes to setting up your fantasy leagues. Yeah, and just a little side note based on the whole league thing. I'm upset we weren't in a pitcherless podcast league that we could try to <laughs> get into first. We came in second the one year, and I wanted yep. to do it again. And we didn't have it, so this is the formal petition for pitcherless out there. If you guys are listening. Let's do that podcast league again. I want to run it back with John. <laughs> yeah. yeah, kind of reclaim, not reclaim, but get back to uh, Yeah, to get back. One. We want a shot at the title, man. We were yeah. so close. We were so close. Yeah. Uh, yeah, my my second resolution, I think it, I don't necessarily agree with this 100%, but I think it it's something that I've learned over the past season, is believe the hype on young players and almost to a fault. Um and the reason I say this is is not just because we just had a year where there was a lot of great young players, but I remember last season, first when when the first round mocks were coming out, a lot of people were putting 
Bobby Wood Jr., you know, in 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 the mid first round. I was like, that's crazy. There's no there's no reason for him to be that high. Turns out he actually was that good. Um, I did not believe the hype at all on Corbin Carroll. I thought that guy was it was it was all smoke. Um, no, it turns out he's actually that good. Gunnar Henderson, I remember, was going in like the sixth and seventh rounds. Yeah, it's like there's no way. And I thought that was I was right when he had that terrible first month. Yep, me too. No, turns out he's actually that good. Um, and you know you're going to get burned sometimes, right? O'Neill Cruz obviously ended up, uh, you know, having an injury, but he looked real good for those yep. those first first few weeks. Yep. And then there's always the you know the voice of caution where it's like, hey, Ellie De La Cruz came up with a lot of hype. Turns out it wasn't like that great, but when everyone's expecting FEP level play from him and he has just like really good, like, you know, decent stats, let's just say, like it turns out, yeah, it was maybe worth it to kind of believe the hype on, on Ellie. Um, I would say this maybe is only limited to position players. Uh, I was trying to believe the hype on young pitchers yeah. and that didn't work super hot, but I think when it comes to hitters, you know, they're, they're so much more mature now. Um, Compared to you know what what we've seen from young hitters in the past, uh, you know the reps that they're taking in the minor leagues um, are pretty decent compared to you know what's in the majors. Yeah, obviously there's more nasty stuff in the majors. You know the ball's just a little bit faster, the the breaks are a little bit a little bit further out. But I don't think there's a reason for us to discount the ability of these rookie hitters um, to do damage in the major leagues. Um, of course, the one maybe piece of caution is like Jordan Walker, right? Um, yep. he, he was soaring up draft draft boards. But let's be honest, it was Jordan Walker compared to a bunch of other guys who did really, really well. So, yeah, there's always going to be a couple duds. But at the end of the day, instead of in- avoiding young players completely, which is what basically I did last season, um, try to try to go for them. You know, sometimes they can be had a little bit more of a discount because maybe people like me don't believe them as much. Um, and that can be to your benefit. And it's definitely something I'm going to be looking in terms of my draft strategy this season. You know, there's not necessarily a bunch of heralded rookies coming up right now who are going to be opening day starters, but maybe I take a closer look at Evan Carter. Maybe I take a closer look at Wyatt Langford and say like, hey, this guy's actually worth spending a a good draft pick on to get, Um, even if in the past I wouldn't have believed it. Yeah, I think that's a really good piece of advice. It's something that I don't really have an issue with. Now, I think in general, right, for me, I was way out on Bobby Witt Jr. going in the middle of the first round. I had zero shares of him last season, and I don't think that's wrong to be skeptical of in your first round taking a guy who, yes, came off a very good rookie season but had his red flags and we really didn't know what to expect. Obviously, he balled out and is worth a first-round pick now. But last season, it was right to have the hesitations on Bobby Witt Jr. Because we just didn't know, right? Like, that's something that's such a question mark that it could really mess up your team if it goes awry. But Mm -hmm. fortunately, it didn't for the people who did draft him with one of those early picks. Now, I was all over Corbin Carroll. That was someone who I drafted in, I believe, three of my six leagues. And I was very high on. And it paid off. And I'm someone who's always been willing to draft someone in that round. Like I remember when Albies and Acuna were both being drafted for the first time and they were going Mm -hmm. in similar ranges in drafts. And unfortunately for me, I went with like Albies in every league and not Acuna. And (laughs) man, that was a mistake, especially in those keeper leagues. But like in round seven or eight, which is where they were going relative to the first year they played, 
I would grab an Albies and be like, okay, I remember when Chris Bryant first came up and there was rumors, oh, he might not play for the first two months. I drafted him in the seventh round in one league, just hoping that when he came up, he'd be great. Kind of like what Jordan Walker was this season, where he was going in the seventh to tenth round range and you would just take a gamble on him. And I think that's always worth it because in that range, there's really not humongous difference makers. And for you to take a chance on someone like a Jordan Walker in the seventh or eighth, it's worth it because who else are you going to grab in that range, right? Like, who Mm -hmm. really was going in that range? I wish I had a reference at the top of my mind, but I'm sure it was people like Marcelo Zuna. Like, I'll take the chance on Jordan Walker over him any day of the week. You know what I mean? Like, I think it's always worth doing that. And that's something I've always subscribed to, that thought process of, hey, this guy could be a top five round value guy that I'm getting in the seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth, just because he's unproven. And if he's not good, you can cut bait with him and grab someone on the wire if you know your wire and if it's a big league. Obviously, the deeper the league, you kind of have to stick with the guy. But yeah, I agree with that. I just think that you should believe the hype on the young players and mainly the position players, like you said, because pitchers are a little bit of a different beast. Now, Yamamoto, I think, gets a pass this season. Like, yeah, I think completely. he should I think he should go where he's going in drafts relative to his ADP. But it's a rare occasion where a pitcher is someone that kind of breaks through. But I think for position players, you definitely take a bigger consideration to where you want them. Like, Evan Carter is a great example. Someone like him... Take him where he goes. And if he's going later in drafts, believe him. I really like Evan Carter this season. He's someone that I'm going to be having on a lot of teams if he's available for me. So I like him a whole lot. Ellie De La Cruz, people might be scared of him, but a lot of people I see are drafting him in these early drafts in the second, third, fourth rounds. If he makes it around the third, fourth, fifth round, I'm going to take him. I believe in him, even though he had, you know, not the best of results. He struck out a lot, sure, but he's so young and has so much potential. So I'm all for that. And that kind of leads into my second resolution. I call this one the Lance Lynn resolution. Now, it's not what you think it is. It is me swearing off Lance Lynn in general, even though I think he'll be good with the Cardinals. I'm still a sad Lance Lynn truther, but... I'm kind of swearing him off, but the rule is mainly cut bait with anyone that isn't working. If something else appealing is out there on the wire, like my exact frame of reference for this is because of Lance Lynn. Hence why I called it the Lance Lynn resolution. I had the chance in my home keeper league to drop Lance Lynn and pick up Yuri Perez. And I decided not to because I still had faith in Lynn. It was still relatively early. I think it was like within the first two months of the season. But there was no reason to have faith in Lance Lynn at all at that point in time. Like, the home run to fly ball ratio was bad. He wasn't really showing any signs of life. He wasn't looking good. I just couldn't let go of Lynn for someone like Yuri Perez, who I didn't know how much he was going to pitch or if he was definitely coming up. Like, I didn't want to take the chance, but I had that opportunity. And I sat there with Yuri Perez up on my screen, ready to add, with Lance Lynn on the drop, and I couldn't pull the trigger. So, for me which, like I said, I'm calling the Lance Lynn resolution, just cut bait with the guys that aren't working out, that you know are fringe guys anyway, if there's something good out there that you know could be great. Yuri Perez ended up being fantastic the whole rest of the season, and Lance Lynn was pretty garbage. So make that move if you can, because you don't want to hold on to an asset that you think is super good, and then turns out to be a dud and you missed out on something truly awesome. And sure, It hurts when you do that and the guy you picked up is garbage and the guy you let go of a little bit too early becomes great. 
but sometimes you have to take those chances and you really just have to know when to pull those punches. Yeah. Uh, I definitely held on to a couple guys a little too long last season. Um, and I think this is something that everyone deals with, right? Like you pick up a guy, you're like, oh man, I really like this guy. Like he's, he's, he's like my dude. Like I drafted him. Like, let's just say like, oh, I drafted him around ahead of, you know, where everyone else did. So right. uh, I definitely believe in him. And then he turns out to be, yeah, not, not that hot. And you're like, oh man, it, it feels wrong to, to want to drop him. But sometimes you just have to do it. Um, and yeah, being able to pull that trigger just a little bit earlier really helps, especially when it's a guy like, you know, I'm not saying like, like Lance Lynn, but you know, just someone who isn't a star, right? I'll give you a good because, example here. Cause my yeah. two were Lance Lynn and Reed Detmers. Reed Detmers mm, yes. was someone I, I held have on no faith. Yes, exactly. Yes. Same here. Same here. Yeah. And it's like, you can, if you drop Detmers, you can kind of match his production on the waiver wire. Um, and you know, like you said, you had, you could have picked up Yuri Perez. Maybe it's not Yuri Perez. Maybe it's just another dude like um, who's another boring pitcher. Maybe it's like Jordan Montgomery or right? Andrew Abbott. Yeah, like they weren't doing that hot in the middle of the season. But hey, it kind of they they were kind of doing the same stats as as Detmers as Lynn, and there was a little bit more upside with where they yeah. were at. You know, just be willing to take the risk because messing up one week of your fantasy baseball league is not going to ruin you for the playoffs or, you know, getting a, maybe, maybe you lose a seed or something like that, but you can still have a better team at the end of the season. Yeah, I completely agree on that. And before we get into our last three resolutions each, we are going to take a quick break. So we'll be back after this. All right, we are back and it's time to get back into our resolutions for the 2024 season. John, what do you have for us? Yeah, so I'll admit this This next piece of advice or resolution is more for me when I'm in my Roto Leagues and when I'm in my save-only leagues, but it kind of applies to my, my redraft save-only leagues as well. I generally punt closers. Uh, I, I don't like drafting them. I feel like it's a waste to pick up a guy like, um, oh, who's a good closer? Like Ryan Helsley or... Um, Edwin Diaz or Josh Edwin Hader. Diaz. Yeah, exactly. Josh Hader, you know, the, these kind of top end closers. Cause I feel like, well, I could be getting a better bat or I could be getting like a, a decent, like an SP two at, at that mark. But last year I was finding myself kind of irritated that because I didn't have good closers, I was punting one category, but really I was also, you know, kind of punting a couple other ones like whip and, and ERA. And, uh, it just really annoyed me that I was, kind of giving up this spot and then when it came down to you know these tight matchups where uh let's just say it's a five by five league and i'm down you know six four right and one of the things i'm down to the saves it's just like i don't have a way to turn around this category in my favor because i only have you know one okay closer um and that that is frustrating that happened to me in tgfbi as well where i was trying to get closers but you just can't get closers off the waiver wire and tgfbi it, it basically doesn't exist and so understanding that like you know if you're going to punt a category be aware of the risks of doing that and and like basically you have to kind of make sure your team is able to dominate more than just half the categories it, it, on, a, on a regular week um or else you're going to be dealing with a losing record for for you know a lot of your matchups and uh, yeah, with with closures specifically, I think a lot of times we feel like, oh, you know, that you know things are going by 
uh, it's closer by rotation, right? Or closer by committee, sorry. And uh, no one's actually getting saves. Well, um, thanks to um, Seth Klusmeyer, who, who wrote the five lessons we learned in 2023 fantasy baseball article um, on pitchless, he actually mentions that there were 23 pitchers total in 2023 that had 20 saves or more. So it's, it's not hard to find saves necessarily if you're looking for them in the draft, but it is really hard to find them on the waiver wire. So make sure you get a couple decent closers um, in your league, in your drafts um, to make sure you're in a, in a better spot when it comes to playing out the entire season. It's so hard, especially in TGFBI, like you were saying for closers in general, it's so tough. I've went in to TGFBI in two of my three seasons being like, okay, I'm going to make it a point to not throw saves. I want mm-hmm. to do it because my first season, I like waited on relief pitchers and I ended up with the worst relief pitcher core. I came in dead last in saves. I tried to pick people up off the wire and it was impossible. It was just so tough. And the last two times in TGFBI, the following two years, I made it a point to get at least one top closer and then try to pair some guys at the end and be active on the wire. And it still really didn't work out for me. I either chose the wrong guy. Like I picked out Ryan Helsley last season, I believe, in the fifth round or something. And it didn't work out because that was the only thing there. Like all the other guys, people were taken in the second or third round. I'm like, I can't pay that. Like, Mm -hmm. what do you want me to do? So I think it's really important, even if you're not going to pay up for those top closers, back-to-back rounds, take two guys that you know at least will be the closer or have a chance of being the closer for 90% of the season because Mm -hmm. you need that. And then even at the end of your draft, pick up another one of those guys or two of them. Just you need guys for saves because that category is such a pain in the butt. It is so annoying because you'll grab a guy and be like, yep, I'm set. That's what was me with Ryan Helsley in TGFBI. I was like, yep, I got Ryan Helsley, Mm -hmm. got my guy. I can wait now. I'll get someone later on. We'll be good for saves. And then all of a sudden Helsley's like not the closer, hurt, then he's getting saves and he doesn't get saves. The Cardinals didn't have like a save opportunity for a month straight. It was like a headache. So it's really hard to play the reliever game, especially because the way the bullpens are working in real baseball is changing. Closers aren't solidified closers anymore. There's people that are going multiple innings and bullpens are being worked much differently than let's say 10 years ago where you pretty much had a set closer for every team and you knew what you were getting. Sometimes there was a change off, but not really. So It's a lot different of an animal now, so I agree. Get a couple of good closers in saves-only leagues. In saves-plus-holds leagues, wait as long as you can because there's someone you've never heard of on the wire that will get you a lot. So I'm a big believer in saves-plus-holds leagues to just not even care about any relievers. Like, maybe, sure, if Edwin Diaz falls to, like, the eighth round, sure, grab him. Who cares? But just don't even bother with getting a top reliever in a saves-plus-holds league. But in a saves-only league, prioritize it because... It will thin out faster than you can imagine. Yeah, I mean, just for reference to TGFPI, I had 39 saves on the season. Uh, 31 of those came from Ryan Presley. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> yep. imagine if I had like a second closer, like I could have jumped up like probably five points. Yeah, right? absolutely. That, it's a big deal. And I mean, and obviously TGFBI is a little unique in the fact that like you're not just competing against your league, you're also competing against you know, the, the entire, the entire league, but just imagine what, like, not, you know, not doubling your saves output, but maybe just like adding another 20% saves. Yeah, yeah. 20 saves could do to improving, you know, your, your head to head record or, or um, improving your standing in a roto league. Um, I, I just think like a lot of times it, we just, 
I punt saves a lot. And this is really a resolution for me personally to just not punt them as much. Yeah, that's great. You got to set resolutions for yourself. And the fact that you're airing something that's for you specifically, that's fantastic. And like I said, all five of the ones that I have today are all personal things for me that I've did wrong. And I noted at the end of the season, I said, hey, what did I do well? What did I do wrong? And let's talk about it. Let's see how I can improve. And the next one for me is the Royce Lewis resolution. Now, I gave everything a name. Sorry, everybody, but it's just me. I'm a little corny in that way. But The key for this one is don't cut bait with someone because you're after another shiny new toy. Keep the toy that you were originally excited about that you knew would be something great that already had the hype and everything. Now, it was a little different for me because in my home league, I had a crowded infield with Nico Horner, Matt McClain, Ellie De La Cruz. I had O'Neal Cruz on the IL, and then I also grabbed Royce Lewis. And once again, I actually picked up Horner off waivers, McLean off waivers, Ellie off waivers, and Royce Lewis off waivers. I started with O'Neal Cruz as my starting shortstop that I kept, and then I drafted Whit Merrifield, and right at the start of the season, I swapped Whit Merrifield for Nico Horner, and he was my shortstop for, like, the entire time until Matt McLean was called up, then I picked him up. Then Ellie De La Cruz was called up, I picked him up. I saw Royce Lewis was coming up, I was excited about him, I picked him up, and... I knew all three of these guys had potential. Matt McClain, probably the least of the three. But Royce Lewis, I knew would be great if he was healthy. I've seen what he can do. I really liked what he can do. I'm a big Royce Lewis fan. So I had this guy. And of course, I had a lot of guys with the positions of shortstop, second base. And this is a 10-team league, so there's not many places to put him. And I needed to make room. And I had to let him go due to positional clutter to pick up an outfielder that was called up. But... I was like, oh man, I can use another outfielder, and I saw Colton Kowser got called up, and I'm pretty sure it was him, but I dropped Royce Lewis for Colton Kowser, and it was a huge mistake that almost costed me a championship, because I went up against Lewis in the semis of that league, and he went nuts, he hit like three homers, had 12 RBI, he hit like two grand slams in the first two days of the week, so... I got decimated by him, and thankfully I made it through and I won the championship regardless, but that one mistake, because I chased a different shiny new toy, and obviously I was a little cluttered with my positions, but I had to drop Royce Lewis, and that was so dumb, especially in a keeper league. I mean, we can only keep four people, and it's for three years, so it's a little different. That's why Ellie wasn't drafted or any of that sort, but just something like that can be a big mistake that can cost you, so remember what you have analyze your asset. If you pick something up, knowing it'll be good. Don't just keep switching to the new flavor of the week. Hold on to something that could be special. If you know, something special is there. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of Royce Lewis, so I'm, I have no issues with this rule. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, the I, twins I, fan of course has to be. Yeah. I think the important distinction here, right. Is trying to figure out the difference between a Royce Lewis and a Lance Lynn. Right? Correct. Correct. Um, and it, that's hard. <laughs> It's, it's Very super hard because obviously we're not comparing Lance Lynn to Royce Lewis, but right. we're comparing like a guy who's done well in the past, who has consistent track records, who you know can perform at a high level. And then we're also talking about a guy who like there's a lot of flash, there's a lot of hype. He's maybe he's maybe backed it up for like 10 games, but you yep. really don't know if it's, it's like if it's a real thing. And being able to, you know, if we could make the right moves every day, we'd be, you know, there'd be no fun in fantasy baseball, right? That's, <laughs> right, kind, of right. The, that's kind of the fun of discovering these guys. But yeah, you know, it just being, you know, just, just maybe digging a little deeper into like, why is this guy succeeding or why is this guy failing? Is this something that can be fixed? Is this something that's just inherent in his mechanics and is not going to be resolved? 
And uh, that's where it kind of helps to, you know, have resources like PitcherList and other fantasy websites to maybe do a little bit of that digging for you. Um, so you can make a really good, you know, educated um, decision at the end of the day. And then really, you know, at the end of the day, you kind of deal with what you have to deal with and, you know, uh, try to, um, you know, solve your mistakes a week later if, uh, if, that's the, if that ends up being the wrong move. Yeah, and you brought up a great comp, not in Royce Lewis versus Lance Lynn, but the dropability between those two, right? Like, mm-hmm. you have to think about it from my perspective, for instance. Let's say you have both of those guys, right? It's really just a psychological warfare in your mind with fantasy because something in your mind tells you, man, you drafted Lance Lynn in the ninth. He's been an ace before. You can't let go of him. And Royce Lewis costed you nothing. You picked him up for free. You can cut him over Lance Lynn. But in reality... You can't do that. Lance Lynn should be gone miles before Royce Lewis. You know, it's crazy how much of a psychological toll it takes on you of between those two guys. Like, who do I drop between these guys? And that's why things like the subreddit for fantasy baseball and Discord chats and even just texting your friends being like, hey, who would you drop? It's Mm -hmm. something that we debate all the time and talk about all the time because it's something that everybody goes through and it's so hard to differentiate who's more droppable in that scenario. So you pretty much hit the nail on the head there that how you differentiate those two players and who you're willing to drop and who you should keep and who you should be able to you know, give some more life to or if you should cut them for someone else, that's the hardest part in fantasy because if you make the right decision on that even 60% of the time in the season, you're probably going to win. But if you mess that up 80% of the time, you probably let go a lot of good assets that would have helped you win. Well, and like you mentioned, you know, let's just say you drafted Lanson in the ninth round. Month and a half later, who cares? Correct. Right? It doesn't matter. Terrible. It's just a number. Yep. Just drop him. Yeah. You're not drafting again. So it's, right. It's, uh, That's what kills me when people value yeah. their players too. When two months into the season or three months into the season, they go, "Well, I drafted this guy in the sixth round." I'm like, "Yeah, but he's playing like a fifteenth rounder. Like, what, what yeah. does that matter? That does not matter. It's just a name and a number. Like, the, throw that out. Throw that out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, this guy got demoted. You know? Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't hold out for. Don't hold out for hope. You know. So <laughs> exactly. Yeah. All right. My my next resolution, I don't really know how much of a resolution this is. It feels more duh, obvious sort of things. But um, this kind of goes in line with the, the pitcher's resolution I had before. But just find trust, try to find consistent bats. Um, and, and don't always go for uh, maybe like just flashes, I guess, is what I'm saying here. Right. Like, the main thing I want is let's just try to find consistent production when it comes to your bats. Like um, you might see a guy hit three homers in a week, cough, cough, Royce Lewis. Uh, but <laughs> then that hurt. Yeah. And, and then it kind of turns out like, yeah, he's got a lot of power, but um, unfortunately it's, he's not hitting three homers every single week. Right. Uh, you know, I, I, part of this is motivated by the fact that in my auction uh, home league, I had, I had Christian Walker, I had Max Muncy, Rafael Devers, Kyle Tucker, Kyle Schwarber on this on this league. So obviously super stacked. But I I really wanted to make sure that I had a lineup that I didn't have to bother like shuffling people in and out unless people had like off days, right? Right. Basically, I guess my my resolution here is like when it comes to redraft leagues and really whatever leagues I'm in. I kind of want to make sure that when I'm drafting a guy, I plan on starting him for the entire season. I'm not just picking up a guy who like I can swap in and out 
and there, there's some roles where like a guy could be swapped in and out, right? Let's just, let's say you have a a five outfielder roster. Maybe outfielder four and five you can swap out a little bit, right? But you don't want to draft a guy to be like, oh, I just plan to have this guy play for the first month and I'm going to you know kick him off my roster. I, I think it's more important to draft for consistency rather than draft for high ceiling because you'll find those high ceiling guys on the waiver wire, in my opinion. Right. Um, so, uh, yeah, this this one really isn't that much of a resolution for me because I kind of already do this. But it's just making it's just being reminded that like, hey, every every position on your roster matters. And even if you have like a really loaded big roster like we have, like I have in my dynasty team, right? It's there's a middle infielder, there's a corner infielder, there's five outfielder spots. We have also a util spot. Like it, it kind of sucked when I had to start like Harold Ramirez in my yeah, corner yeah. Out, in corner infield spot because it was like I don't want this guy here. But the reason I'm in this spot is because. I did prepare adequately enough to have like two good third basemen. And right. so yep. I'm in this spot now. So yet yeah, I would say like, you know, treat every spot in your roster as valuable, even if you have a lot of them and just make sure you, you know, kind of stock up um, decently enough. Obviously your roster is never going to be perfect. We're always going to want to ticker with them. But um, when it comes to, when it comes to hitters, I like more consistency when it comes to pitchers. I'm good with streaming guys in and out. Yeah, I like that, and I used to target people that played the most amount of games, right? Like, Matt Olson is someone I love because he plays every game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whit Merrifield, back in the day, he played every game. So I liked having that guy where I was like, hey, I don't have to replace this guy or put someone on my bench that has the same eligibility to have to worry about that. I know this guy is going to be playing if he's healthy, and that's key. So having that reliability of knowing who you can have in your lineup at all times is a very helpful factor. And that's why, you know, people on the bench you can have with different eligibilities and plug them in when needed. Or if they get injured, you pick up someone off the wire that has the same eligibility and you just plug them in and make that change. And maybe you play the hot hand there, but as long as the guys are healthy, they should be playing. So having that consistent reliability at the positions really helps you. So definitely keep that in mind for all the people out there that are building a lineup and building a team. Make sure that you value what they're able to do and how long they're able to be on the field because you can draft someone like Byron Buxton but then you know you have to draft at least another outfielder to back him up because he's only going to play 50 games or so even like drafting a Tyler Glass now like you know he's only going to give you 120 innings maybe so make sure you draft someone that can give you more innings alongside him it's just about knowing where the consistency is going to come from you could swing for the fences for certain hitters you can try to grab guys that are going to be boom or bust but you need to have those guys that are equally as consistent to make up for that production yep for me the next resolution is the staying true to yourself resolution now last season in my keeper league i didn't want to trade any draft picks away and towards the deadline i psyched myself out i got in my head and i didn't stay true to myself i ended up giving a high draft pick away for Joe Musgrove, who pitched for me for two weeks and then got hurt and missed the rest of the season. Now, it was a great addition, sure, and he would have helped me if he was healthy, but it turns out I didn't need to make that move, and I still managed to win that league without Musgrove. So, next time you think you need to make a trade to improve, even though you're in a good position already, maybe just pull back a bit. Stay true to yourself and your team. Realize what you have what you're capable of, trust in yourself for picking up guys off wire. Don't think 
that you need to go out and spend, spend, spend at the trade deadline to make your team as super team as possible. Like, you might not need that guy. He might get hurt. You're giving away future assets. Now, there's certain times where maybe you're in fifth place or sixth place and only four teams make it to the playoffs and you really need to bolster your team and make a trade, then sure, go for it. I mean, flags fly forever. So if you need to trade away a draft pick or a good possible keep option or one of your better players to get a bunch of guys to plug in holes, then sure, go for it. But if you tell yourself, hey, I'm in first place, I'm coasting, I'm definitely making the playoffs, I believe in myself, I know what I've done to get here, I don't want to trade any draft picks for next season, stay true to that plan. Don't deviate from it because I psyched myself out and now I have a less good spot in the draft for next season for literally nothing. I didn't get any value last season on Joe Musgrove and it just costed me for this season. So maybe I'm at a disadvantage going into the season because I made that mistake of not believing and staying true to myself on what I already had. So my advice for you all and the resolution there is stay true to yourself. If you're in a good position, don't freak out Stay the course. Keep on your plan. Yeah, I think sometimes we try to like make like the hot move, you know? Yep, hundred percent. Like, yeah, like oh yeah, this will be a cool trade, right? And it doesn't actually help us. Yeah, yep, yep. Um, and it's just kind of like we want to do something just to do something. I am guilty of doing that a little bit in my dynasty league, where I just kind of you know make dumb trades to make dumb trades. Um, and I tried to tone that down a little bit this season. So uh, thankfully, I I didn't do some stupid stuff, but I also didn't do that hot so maybe i should go back to that that staying true to myself is <laughs> like making a little bit of crazier trades but yeah well yeah, i'm a big fan of making trades like i love making moves i love you know i do it respectfully and, and thought through like i don't just impulse yeah, make sure. trades i try to make yeah. sure i'm plugging a hole on my team and plugging a hole on someone else's team and taking what i have a surplus of to someone else who they need that as their asset and they have a surplus of something i need i love working that out that's something i love doing for fantasy it's fun being a gm but mm -hmm. it's more about believing in like, hey, I don't really need to make this move. What am I doing here in certain scenarios, you know? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So just, you know, have a little bit of uh, self-control. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's a perfect word for it. Yeah. Don't make the move just to make the move. Correct. Yeah. All right. Well, my last resolution is purely for my, uh, purely for my home league because for the last two seasons, I have drafted Shohei Otani. Uh, because uh -huh. again, ESPN league, uh, he's, you he can be started as either a pitcher or a batter. So I always had my util spot spoken for because I had Shohei Otani there this season. I don't plan on drafting Shohei Otani, um, as, as much fun it is, would it be to have him, you know, hit 50 homers for my util spot, um, having him lose that pitcher eligibility just because he's essentially hurt. Uh, kind of sucks. So yeah. um, I'm probably going to go with something else, and I need to figure out what to, what what do I need to do with util spot, right? I just talked about having consistent production, and uh, maybe that means I pick up a guy like Shohei, but I kind of want a little bit more flexibility. I don't want a guy who's just limited to, you know, I can only start him in the util spot. Maybe I want a guy who... Um, you know, I don't want to use it as like a fourth outfielder spot, but maybe I can use it as like a good middle infield spot or a good corner infielder spot. Uh, and just figure out, yeah, what what do I do with that? And uh, and yeah, like uh, I, I'm in completely new territory here. So this will be something that I am trying to figure out over the next couple months as we get to draft season. 
Yeah, that's league. definitely strange going from having someone that's like your set util spot. Like Otani mm-hmm. literally can't play anywhere but util. So you had yep. to have him there and that was your guy. It never changed. Now, mm-hmm. from someone who plays in leagues with two util spots, I think that's just an open flex spot for you. Like, don't think too much about it. I mean, I'm trying to be your therapist here and answer your question <laughs> here on the yeah. podcast. But don't think too much about what you're going to plug in there. This is the perfect scenario for you is I would try to avoid Otani. Obviously, when you were drafting him before, he was the two-way player that you could plug in in both. And he's fantastic. Right. You want him everywhere. Like, of course, mm-hmm. he's like the most valuable player in fantasy in that regard. But for this... Mm-hmm you're able to now draft freely. And that's something that you haven't been able to do in that league for quite some mm-hmm. time. So right. it's very freeing. And you'll see in the draft where you're like, oh, I don't have to take someone because, oh, I have that spot filled. You can grab a fourth outfield. You can grab a second, third baseman. You can grab a third, first baseman. Like You can actually do whatever you want with that. And there's a lot of power to that because it'll allow you to jump on a bat that maybe you wouldn't have taken before because your util was clogged up. So exactly. make sure you just go in there with an open mind of being like, okay, I have my targets for each position, but then write down a second target at each position because maybe if the value's right and they fall to you, that'll be your util spot. And you can even rotate that with someone else. So it's a good spot to be in. I'm, I'm very happy for you that you're able to be free of a util spot because it is very <laughs> fun to be able to rotate people through your util spot. Yeah, completely. Well, and I mean, in my redrafts league too, I, I usually end up, using my util spot as like a fourth outfielder spot right right but but there's there's value in getting let's just say two top five second basemen right yeah yep. um he's like oh i only have one second base spot no you could put the second second baseman in a util spot right and that yeah maybe that takes away your ability to draft like your outfielder too but outfield maybe is deep enough that you can actually get by with two outfielder threes or you know something like that where it's like trying to find those trade-offs where it's like, I know this position is deep, so I'm not going to immediately pick up a top five guy in this category or in this position. Instead, I'm going to pick up two top five guys in a more, um, in a, at a position where there's maybe less of that top end talent. Right. And, you know, two months into the season, both guys are doing well. Trade one of those top, you know, five, guys that you have exactly for a top five guy to another position that yep. you, you, you know, you're willing to pass on. And yeah, it, it kind of works out where it's like, don't be afraid to, yeah, go to, to go after some guys where you might have had a position filled, uh, but, but now you don't have to worry about it. And that's exactly what I was going to say to you right there is you could take two of the top five guys. And then if you have a spot, that's maybe a little bit of a hole on your team and you have your util spot filled with that second best option at first base, for instance, you could mm-hmm. trade him away to get someone to fill that hole. And it's a great problem because then you just plug in that util with someone else and right. you could do the same thing. So it's really freeing. Like my example for that is in my home league, I had Matt Olson and I also drafted mm-hmm. Christian Walker and I was able to yeah. do that because I put Christian Walker in util and I ended up trading Christian Walker and another person for a struggling Sandy Alcantara. So you can <laughs> make <Whoops>. things. <laughs> yeah. I was not talking about that, but It was something that I was able to do because I had an excess and a surplus of a premium position that was needed to be filled. So you can Mm -hmm. have that freedom and that's really good to have. So I like that a lot and kind of piggybacking off of your final resolution because we were talking about being able to have the freedom in your draft. My final resolution is the get your guy resolution. Now, I typically draft very well. I'm very proud of my drafting ability in the last, 
I don't know, three years. I feel like I've drafted each league I was in pretty well. My results in some leagues might not show that, maybe TGFBI and whatnot, but I always walk away from the draft like, I did well. I feel like I did well, and I don't feel like I made many mistakes. Maybe I could have gotten this guy differently. Maybe I should have planned out this differently. But overall, after my drafts, I feel very confident. Most people do, but I think my results have been showing in the last three years. So I'm very happy with that. But in certain leagues, I held back on drafting the guy that I wanted because I thought I could get him with maybe my next pick. And that player usually ended up going with the very next pick after mine or before my next Mm -hmm. pick at any point. Yeah. So I just think that you have to grab your guy. Like if you are really gung-ho on Cole Reagans, right? And he's going in the seventh round, take him in the sixth. Don't take the chance on him to fall yeah. to the seventh. If he's your guy, get your guy. Don't wait on it. Don't give it any chances. I mean, even in a first-year player draft that I'm doing right now for a dynasty league, I waited on Tommy Troy because I had a pick coming up in three picks, just three picks, and I didn't think he was going to go off the board. There was more better names out there, and I said, you know what, I'm going to grab a pitcher because I'm a little thin on pitcher, and then I'll grab Tommy Troy on the way back. Well, very next pick after mine, Tommy Troy off the board. So just make sure you get your guy, even if it's a round early or two rounds early, grab that sleeper that you believe in, grab that breakout candidate that you keep reading about, just get the guys that you want if you can. Don't pass up on that opportunity Otherwise, you'll miss it. It'll go right by you. You'll regret not getting that guy, and then you'll see him performing well on someone else's team, and then you're going to try to make a trade for him, and they're not going to trade him. They're going to want your best player that you drafted for this guy, and you're like, that's not worth it, and then you'll be upset the whole season. So don't let that happen. Get your guy. Yeah, I can't count the number of times that I've been scooped. (laughs) You know? Yeah, literally. Every league I got scooped every time. Right, and I mean stealing players happens all the time, right? It's of not course. just you. Guess what? The other people in your draft are probably reading the, the same articles you're reading. Yep. They know the same sleepers that you're targeting. Everyone kind of has a lot of the same information nowadays, um, at least in terms of, you know, like the, 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 the drafting. Um, it's way more accessible nowadays. It, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Way more accessible. That's the perfect way to put it. So um, yeah, that guy that you've been thinking about, like you said, other people have been thinking about him as well. Yep. It, I like to basically call this rule basically don't get cute, you know? Yeah, that's perfect. Um, just just if you like the guy, go for it. Who cares that you got him a round earlier or two rounds earlier? I I did that a little bit with Jazz Chisholm last year be, at the beginning of uh, like pre, preseason. Uh, and then, of course, he got hurt. So I, I, didn't, right. I didn't try to get too cute there. But uh, Jazz was a guy who was really high and I was going to I was going to go high on him because you know what? Some people thought he had a fourth round grade or a third round grade. I was like, you know what? If everything works out, he's a second rounder to me. And I was willing to do that up until, well, he wasn't healthy. So Yeah, of course, of course, of course. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, if you if you have your guys, go for them. And, and other people might be like, that's crazy. Why would you do that? But, uh, you know, if, if you believe in him and it works out, then uh, you're getting the last laugh there. Yeah, and one of the fun parts about fantasy is getting the guys that you like watching and you enjoy and you think are going to be great. It's really like putting your stamp out there and being like, I believe in this guy. And if it pays off, you look like a genius to all of your friends in your league. And if it doesn't, maybe you get laughed at for a little bit, but you're going to do it again the next season. And eventually, it'll hit. And when it hits, you'll feel like the man. It's a great feeling. Like when I drafted Corbin Carroll in most of my leagues and people were like, wow, you took him in the fourth round and the third round. Wow, that's very high. Look who's laughing now. I mean, it really does pay off and it makes you feel great. So that's one of the fun parts about fantasy. And I just highly recommend that you get your guy. It's definitely worth it. But 
That wraps up our resolutions for the 2024 season. Hopefully, you all find some value in that and that info and what we didn't do well last season and all that information can help all of you moving forward. We're going to take our last break now. And when we come back, we will talk about all of the trades and the signings that happened since our last podcast. So we'll be back after this. Okay, John, we have a little bit of a list here to get through and not much time to go through it. But let's talk about all of the signings and trades that happened since our last podcast. We're going to start with the two big fish, and we'll talk about both of them after I list off this whole list. But the first big one is Shohei Otani signed to the Dodgers 10 years, $700 million, and his contract is a mess. There's tons of deferrals. It made the whole league gasp, and everyone's panicking, and they're saying, how can the Dodgers do this? And it is very... Crazy. It's a Bobby Bonilla type of deal, and we'll talk more about that in a minute. But Otani to the Dodgers, which both of us predicted correctly in our last episode, so kudos to us. Next, we have Yoshinobu Yamamoto, who went to the Dodgers on a 12-year, $325 million deal. It includes two opt-outs. It is the largest pitching contract given out. It's more than Garrett Cole, and this guy hasn't thrown one pitch in the bigs yet. So pretty crazy, but He is probably worth it. He's 25 years old, and he had an amazing, amazing resume in the NPB. And you just can't replicate those numbers. I mean, he won the Cy Young equivalent for like three years in a row. He won the MVP two years in a row. Like, he is the truth. And if he can just be even a fraction of that in MLB, he's going to be worth that money. So Yamamoto, who I was hoping would go to my Mets, and we offered the same deal, same money, but then the Dodgers matched it. And he went to the Dodgers, so what are you going to do? Yamamoto to the Dodgers. Next, we have Tyler Glasnow and Manuel Margot, who were traded from the Rays to the Dodgers for the main headline piece of Ryan Pepio. And then Tyler Glasnow got an extension of five years, $136.5 million. And that's another crazy signing for the Dodgers. Just, my God, how much more evil can this empire become? Because... Otani, Yamamoto, Glasnow, and Margot, just, my God, the Dodgers are a superpower now, combined with Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman, it's actually insane. Then we have Jung-Hoo Lee, who signed to the Giants, who you called properly in our last episode, so kudos to you, great call there. He signed to the Giants on a six-year, $113 million contract. Next, we have Lucas Giolito, who signed to the Red Sox on a two-year, $38.5 million contract. Tyler O'Neill was traded to the Red Sox from the Cardinals. Seth Lugo signed to the Royals on a three-year, $45 million deal. Michael Waka also signed to the Royals on a two-year, $32 million deal. Little reunion there, too. They were both on the Padres, and now they're both on the Royals. Lourdes Gurriel Jr. re-signed with the Diamondbacks on a three-year, $42 million deal. Mitch Garver signed with the Mariners on a two-year, $24 million deal. Yuki Matsui, who played in the NPB, signed to the Padres on a five-year, $28 million contract. He is a reliever that also gets bonuses if he becomes the closer of the Padres. Wu Suk Go signed to the Padres, who played in the KBO. He's also a reliever, and he signed to a two-year, $4.5 million contract. Next, we have Chris Sale, who was traded from the Red Sox to the Atlanta Braves for Vaughn Grissom which is a crazy deal. Sale was also extended by the Braves on a two-year, $38 million contract. Next, we have Harrison Bader, who signed with the Mets on a one-year, $10.5 million deal. Then we have a trade by the Mets. 
Adrian Hauser and Tyrone Taylor were traded from the Brewers to the Mets for a pitcher named Coleman Crow, who just recently had Tommy John surgery and was acquired in the Eduardo Escobar trade. And then Kevin Kiermeyer and Isaiah Kiner-Falefa signed to the Blue Jays. So those are all the signings and the trades that just recently took place. There's a lot of big ones, John, if we can just quickly talk about Otani and Yamamoto and just the Dodgers, I guess, in general with Glasnow and Margot. It's insane what they're doing. I mean, Otani made it so they could sign Yamamoto, essentially, because mm-hmm. Otani took a 10-year, $700 million contract, which is the largest in sports history, is the biggest contract of all time, but he deferred it to 10 years after he finishes his contract with the Dodgers. So he's only getting paid $2 million a year going forward in his 10 years with the Dodgers, and then after that, he gets paid the rest of it, pretty much. So him mm-hmm. being able to do that, made it so they can give 12 years, 325 mil to Yamamoto and sign Glasnow to an extension. So what do you have to say about this? Any thoughts on this? I mean, the Dodgers are a superpower. Yeah, I mean, hey, flex, flexing the money. Um, you know, I, I think when last year when the Mets signed both... Um, uh, Scherzer and Verlander? Scherzer and Verlander, right? Everyone was kind of like freaking out. But it was like, hey, that's... It, you know, you're taking a lot of a lot of risk by doing that. But those guys deserve the money, and if it works out, it works out, right? And I think kind of the same thing with the Dodgers here, where kind of the irony, and granted that's only this year, is that Otani, Yamamoto, and Glasnow combined might only get like 40 starts among the three of them, right? right? Because Otani's either not not starting at all, or he might start a few games in like September maybe? Yeah. Um, I doubt it, but yeah. Right, Yamamoto's probably going to finish up play the entire season you know barring some weird injury right uh glass now is just it's not a healthy player yeah. so i'm actually really surprised that they extended him for for this type of deal with that type of money um but hey it's the dodgers they, i guess they can afford it with uh with these deferrals from shohei uh there's a lot of risk involved in it and then the funny thing is i think if you look at the dodgers roster it's like they might need more pitchers um because a lot of these guys are either injury prone or co- or can't go deep in the games um it's you know guys like uh walker bueller who's going to be coming back from injury. yeah yep um tony gonsolin who you know the the jury's kind of out on how good he was he was great in the first half of the season and kind of faded away um dustin may who i think is also recovering from injury and might not pitch next year he came back um, last season and he's feeling good i don't know if he had another injury that that's happened, right you're right yeah but he's mm-hmm. kind of back he's kind of building up now you know right um bobby miller who uh they they kind of yanked a lot in in games you yep. know he'd, he'd go four or five innings and then they immediately take him out um emmett sheehan who's you know rookie season last year didn't do super hot yep um gavin stone who everyone was kind of thinking hey he might be a really good uh really good rookie didn't didn't really turn out super well there yep um so it's it's a bunch of guys who they're okay right they They have potential yeah they have potential right but really their their sp4 and sp5 spots are still kind of open on that team which is kind of which is interesting to say um so you know, for for the Dodgers, they they saw uh, an opportunity. They went for it. You know, they they had to trade a guy like Pepio, who had a lot of promise, to get a guy like Glasnow, which I I don't think a lot of teams would make that trade, and uh, for for good reason because of Glasnow's um, health issues. But um, I think it's just going to be a fun team to watch. You know, I really enjoyed 
trying to see if the Mets were going to work out last year. Unfortunately, it didn't. Yep. I think I'm going to be interested to see how the Dodgers work out this year. Um, and at the end of the day, you know, I wish more teams would would try to go for big contracts like this uh, just to try to see if it can it can work out. Um, but eh, you know, baseball is, is the sport is it's really top heavy in terms of the money. Um, and yet we had a matchup in the world series of the <laughs> Texas Rangers who spent a ton of money yep, and the diamondbacks who did not spend a ton of money. And, um, just because you spend the money does not mean you're going to get to the world series, but it definitely makes for an interesting season. Yeah, there is miracle teams. There's things that happen. It's not always the team that spends the most money. I mean, look at what the Mets did last season. We traded away our two big contracts that we signed to big money for two Cy Young Award winners, and we traded them for prospects. We did something different, and it is going to be interesting watching the Dodgers and seeing their success because you know everyone will be watching the Dodgers, and if they don't win a World Series, they are going to get memed to oblivion. They are going to get absolutely memed. There's already a meme going around like, can't wait to see the Dodgers lose to the 85 and 77 Reds or whatever it is. You know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. just really funny content there with, with the memes. But I just think that it's crazy. The Dodgers are able to get Otani, Yamamoto, Glasnow, Margot. They're just setting themselves up for one of the most stacked teams we have ever seen in the history of baseball. So... A bunch of good signings here in general. I like the Giolito to the Red Sox for two years. I hopefully will see him play well. I'm a big Giolito fan. We got Mitch Garver to the Mariners, which is an exciting one. You know, him and Cal Raleigh will probably split time at catcher and DH and whatnot. So that's a really cool signing. I was hoping he would go to the Yankees like you mentioned in our last podcast. Like, I would have loved to watch that. That would have been fun. And then, like, Chris Sale on the Braves is so crazy, and they gave him an extension. Harrison Bader is going to be playing some good defense for the Mets. There's just a lot of good signings going on, and there's still some big names left. Those big names being Cody Bellinger, Blake Snell, Jordan Montgomery, Josh Hader, Shota Imanaga, J.D. Martinez, Justin Turner, Jorge Soler, Reese Hoskins, Matt Chapman, and T. Oscar Hernandez. So there is a lot of guys out there that still need to be signed that are on the bigger name of things. So... We'll see where they end up, and you know we will talk about it once they do sign or have trades involved. We will cover all of that in the next episode of the off-season editions. So, with that being said, that wraps up this entire podcast where we talked about our fantasy baseball resolutions and all of the transactions that recently took place. Hopefully you all enjoyed and got something from it. We hope that you liked it. But that wraps up this episode. Before you go, make sure to follow us on Twitter or X at ThisWeekPL. We want to be more active on Twitter or X this whole season. We want to give out more advice. Maybe we give out our streamer advice or our hitting pickups a little bit earlier than the podcast. So if you follow that, you can get a little bit of a sneak peek and the info before it goes out on the pod. We'll try to do some things for you guys on there because we want to be more interactive with all of you. Make sure you send us your comments and your questions to our email at thisweekplpod at gmail.com. Send more emails in. We haven't gotten many, and we would love to hear more from all of the listeners out there to help you all out, answer your questions live on the podcast. It'll be a lot of fun. You can find John on Twitter or X at TheJohnKe. That's T-H-E-J-O-H-N-K-E. And you can follow myself on Twitter or X at Regicidal. That's R-E-G-I-C-I-D-A-L. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the PitcherList podcast feed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to your podcasts on. And once again, 
please leave us a five-star review. If you enjoy listening to our show, it would help us out greatly. Lastly, sign up for Pitcher List Plus. By doing so, you can join us in the Pitcher List Discord and get advice from all of the fantasy experts and writers over there. But that's all for this week. We'll be back in approximately two weeks with another episode of This Week in Fantasy Baseball. For John, I'm Lee, and we'll see you in the next one. Later, everyone. Later, everyone.